Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael and we are here tonight for Detention Live with my special guest co-host Jessica, who I believe is AngryNerd03 on the Twitter sphere. Jessica, say hello to everyone. Hi. Uh, nice to meet y'all. Happy, very, very happy to have you here, especially because I had to cancel on you. You were supposed to be here last week, and then sort of the last minute, I'm dealing with a bunch of crazy medical stuff, and I was like, I just, I'm not able to do this. And then it just by happenstance, Tom, who normally would be streaming right now, his 5e game had to cancel. So like, hey, let's just see if we can squeeze it in. You were available, you know, his minute all works together. Uh, so very excited to be able to have you on tonight. Yeah, uh, I'm excited to be here. So for anyone who is watching now or in the future who may not be familiar with what you do within the TTRPG sphere, give us a little bit about your background. Who are you? I write games and supplements. I guess I'm a game designer. That's what I do. Uh, yeah, I um, wrote for the Uncaged Anthology. Right now I have some stuff coming out with uh, Age of Sigmar Soulbound, some Warhammer Fantasy stuff uh, later this year and some stuff with Pugmire, and a lot of stuff on the DMs Guild. Oh, anything in particular on DMs Guild you'd like to highlight? Anything new? Yeah, I have a new thing coming out next week. Oh, nice. talk about Jordan Plugs. Okay. But I produced Book of Seasons, Solstices, and Equinoxes, which was nominated for an Emmy, and is right over my shoulder, if you can see it. So uh, those are two books you can get on DMs Guild, plus I have a whole bunch of games that I've created entirely myself that are much cheaper than anything you can get on DM Skeletal by stuff on my itch page. Those are like one to five dollars. Oh, very, very cool. All right. So the first thing we like to do here is about basically the extracurricular. And that's just where we talk about what we've been up to recently. So it can be a book you've read, a CD you're listening to, a movie, literally just anything that you feel like sharing with us. Uh, so is there anything going on right now that you want to talk about for a minute? Oh, I just took two weeks off of work, which is great oh, Nice um, to catch up on my writing work, my other work. In the real life, I'm a social worker trauma therapist, so I took two weeks off from seeing clients. And in addition to writing, I was playing a lot of Hades. I started watching iZombie. Mm-hmm. And just today, I finished reading the third book in the Dune series, Children <laughs> of Dune. Okay. So that's what I've been up to. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a full schedule for a couple weeks. That's a lot yeah. going on. So I've actually, Dune is one of those like holes in my nerd cred. Uh, I know about it, but I, I don't know. I've never read any of the books. I did not see the original movie. I know there's a new one coming out. Uh, I probably will check that one out because I have HBO Max. Uh, but I really don't know. I, I, there's like the spice and there's the giant sandworms. But, you know, beyond that, I don't know much. I had never read any of the Dune stuff either, but saw the the trailer for the new movie, and I'm a big David Lynch fan, so hmm. I it was weird to me that I hadn't seen the old movie, but I like to read the books first, so I decided to read the first book, then see the David Lynch movie, and then I heard from some people that it all goes downhill after the first book, and other people were like, no, it gets better after oh. the first book. So I read the next two. I've read the first trilogy now, and I I don't know if I'm going to continue. Okay, but we'll see. They're all like 600 pages, so it's like uh, I I get them from the library, and I have 20 days to read them, so I have to like commit. <laughs> right, right. 
Yeah, I I recently started rereading the Wheel of Time series. And I think I've already mentioned That's one I've never finished. Okay. Well, I, I mentioned this I've talked mentioned this a while back, so I'm repeating it a little bit. But uh I read about read I mean audiobook. Uh I think I got through like the first seven really quickly. And then mm-hmm. I got to that part where they kind of get bad. And I just I couldn't continue. I I'm like, I'm sorry, I just I'm I'm done. And so I switched over and now I'm going through the Dark Tower series again, which I have not read since the the new ones came out and I I read them all. I've read the old ones many, many, many times. But I read each of the new ones once. Uh, mm-hmm. so I'm about halfway through the Wastelands right now. And I think Draw to the Three and Wastelands are two of my favorite books of all time. I absolutely love really? those. Yeah. I haven't read a lot of Stephen King, so I should maybe give those a shot. I've read like his short stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually a really big King fan, though. I mean, I lead into his own, you know, he, he talks about himself as he's like the McDonald's of writing. Like it's, it's you know, yeah. it's not maybe not good for you. It's not highbrow, but it's just it's quick, and easy. It's fun. You know, it's like beach reading. And mm-hmm. uh, um, it's one of the ways I got into fantasy. It's one of his early books is called Eyes of the Dragon, which is kind of a okay. you know, weird you know, he doesn't really do fantasy genre very much, but I just, he did that book. I happened to read it and I was like, oh, this is awesome. And I don't know if that was like the first book I ever read fantasy, but it was one of the earliest books and it really kind of had an impact on me. And I really, really enjoyed that one. I haven't read it in 30 years, so it may be terrible, but at the time I really liked it. I love that. All right. So very quick, I just want to say hello to Sumkey. Uh, he's one of my regulars who watches me play Dragon Warrior during the morning. So thank you so much for hanging out with us. And the New York Tater, who is one of our detention all-stars. Uh, it, this is no lie. For a long time, detention kind of went away. It was just, we. I moved and my, where I'm at now, I have terrible internet problems. And we were trying it for a little while after I moved and my internet kept crashing. I got really frustrated. So I just stopped doing it for a while. And he kept bugging me about detention. So New York Tater is the reason why detention is back. Uh, So uh, whether that is praise to him or condemnation, I don't know. Uh, But I always like it when he hangs out with us. Uh, So as for me, a couple of things I already mentioned. Um, I'm I'm creating my own game right now. I'm dipping my toes into the game creation. I've been working on a game for a couple of years, mostly as like a joke. But it actually started to become fun. I feel like all of my games start as a joke. Yeah, yeah. Well, for me, I, I, I'm literally on record. D12 is the best die. I think rolling a D12 is just the most physically satisfying of all the dice. I just think they're great and not enough people use them. So I started this game that was just how can I get people to roll a ton of D12s? Like mm-hmm. that, that's everything I went to is like, well, you have to roll like five of them. And then after a little while, I kept pairing back some of the stupid parts and leaving the other parts. And it turned out this is actually a lot of fun to, to do. That's awesome. Uh, so now I, I've hired a project manager and we are hoping to bring it to Kickstarter later this year. So that's super exciting. But we, I did a play test last night with like a new framing device. It may make more sense if you're a game designer. The rules mm-hmm. didn't really change, but the way I presented everything did. And it went really mm-hmm. well. But I almost had to like start over because I had like 80% of a game written that was more like um, a TV show, but it okay. was supposed to be about movies. So just some of the oh. framing device, like we we kept falling naturally into language like, you know, this is our cold open. This is the commercial break. Here's mm-hmm. this. But the whole premise is it's supposed to be an action movie. And so now I'm like, OK, well, this is act one. This is our inciting incident. 
you know, this is our, uh, you know, uh, rising tension. Here's our climax. So I'm having to just change a few things to make it really fall into what I was supposed to be doing. But in a weird way, I have two games now. So if this one goes well, I can always just go back and go, okay, here's the, like, the lower decks version of the game, which actually might work as well. Um, and then That's I watched... Cool. I'll keep an eye out for that. Well, I would be fantastic at some point. We're going to be hiring people to help, you know, additional writing and development. So I don't... Tracy's the one who's doing all that. He's the project manager. I hired uh, Tracy Bar uh, Bennett. Oh, my God. I'll, I got Tracy... The other Tracy on Twitter. What is his last name? Their last name. Sorry. Oh, God. Sorry, Tracy. I don't know why. For some reason, I cannot remember your name. But uh, he's... They, they are the one that are doing the uh, development for me and project managing. So they'll be cool. the one hi hiring additional people. But uh, I'm excited. That's awesome. It is Barnett. Okay. I thought it was, but then I started thinking, wait, that's wrong. So thank you, Sumke, for the, the, the assist there. Um, and then quickly, I did watch the Snyder Cut, uh, the four-hour DC movie. How was that? I did not care for it at all. Okay. Um, I don't really like Man of Steel. In fact, I would say I mm -hmm. hate Man of Steel. I really dislike Batman versus Superman. I thought the Joss Whedon Justice League was very bad. But knowing why what happened with Zack and why he had to leave the project, you know, he had a mm -hmm. tragedy with his family. I was actually happy that he got a chance to finish it. You know, whatever you think of, mm -hmm. whatever else is just, I was happy for him just, you know, on an emotional level. Having said that, it's a very bad movie, in my opinion. In fact, I think the Joss Whedon version is better. And wow. I'm very, pretty much a minority in that. Uh, because I don't think it's any better than the Joss version, but it's two hours shorter. So if you're going to make me watch one of them, I'm going to pick the Joss version every time. Because it's just so much shorter. But it's they're both really dumb. But Zach is a great cinematographer. It looks amazing. It looks like candy. You want to like lick the screen these poses and these images. But the moment you start listening to what the characters are saying and trying to pay attention yeah. to what they're doing and why it does not make any sense whatsoever. I mean, I know. So I'm not a Zack Snyder fan. I'm also not a Michael Bay fan. Oh, okay. But something I always give them credit for is you can look at like 10 seconds of one of their movies and know that it's them. Mm-hmm. You could do that with Tim Burton too. Who, like I am a fan of his early work. Yeah. But um, yeah. And there's something to say for having a recognizable style. And Zack Snyder does make very cool um, cinematic pictures. Mm -hmm. I, I would love to have a room full of posters from his movies. Mm -hmm. But just no dialogue. <laughs> yeah. None of that. Uh, it'd be cool to have like on in the background at a bar or something yeah i mean just when you look up you're like oh that was awesome you know there's like that iconic batman stand on top of a gargoyle with a lightning behind him it's like yeah. that looks amazing but if you start asking like why was he actually there at that moment <laughs> other than to get that pose there's really no reason for them to be there you know yeah i was really disappointed by man of steel um <sighs> so the only uh DC heroes movies I've seen have been the two Wonder Woman movies and mm. then the Harley Quinn Birds of Prey movie. Mm -hmm. And I really liked that one. And I really liked the first Wonder Woman movie. Yeah. I thought the first, the first two thirds of the first Wonder Woman movie are amazing. That last yeah. third is terrible. And yes. I, again, I don't, <laughs> I have heard, I don't know 
that there was a lot of uh, studio influence on that last third. Mm-hmm. It was kind of Zack Snyderized, and it it yeah. feels that way. It just turns into a CGI crap fest. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the first two thirds of that movie I thought were really really good. I was very disappointed in the second one, Woman. It it again it was just nonsensical. Nothing really made any sense to me. And making it a prequel, but then apparently it didn't actually happen because no one references that in the other. Yeah, it just did did not work for me. And even Aquaman, like a lot of people really liked Aquaman. Oh, I Aquaman. saw Aquaman too. I forgot about that one. And, like a lot of people I know who Spelling. are like, it was a lot of fun, but I I thought it was okay at best. You know, it just didn't, it didn't work for me either. And I hate that because I love comic books. I mean, I'm a huge Marvel fan. I'm in the bag for those movies. Absolutely. But I grew up, like my first cartoon I can remember watching was Challenge of the Super Friends. I, you know, I would come home every day after school. I'd watch G.I. Joe, Transformers, and the Super Friend cartoon. Even the stupid ones with Marvin and Wendy and the Wonder Mutt. But I loved those. So DC I heroes actually, are in my blood. I want to love these movies. I just am not right now. The first non-D&D game I ever made was inspired by Super Friends, actually. It's called Squad Goals. <laughs> And it's basically, it was for mythology jam mm-hmm. or, and, and folklore jam. So it's uh, like women from world mythology and folklore teamed up for like a cartoon superhero nice. style nice. game. And I was like, it's very super friends. <laughs> and that's great. Like I, I want a super friends cartoon. Like that would be, or a movie. I mean, hell, even a cartoon yeah. would be fantastic. That That's kind of what I would be after, but all right, well, enough of that. Uh, we will move into the first of our improv games, and this is called 10 Things. And the idea here is that we will take turns prompting each other to try to create a list of 10 things that match the prompt. Uh, the goal here is a more of immediacy over accuracy, so a fast mm-hmm. list of 10 is better than a good list of 10. Uh, but you are the guest, so would you like to prompt me first, or would you like to be prompted first? You prompt me first. Okay. Uh, so you mentioned that you like Super Friends, or at least you have some history with that. Mm-hmm. So give me 10 DC characters that you would like a movie made by someone other than Zack Snyder. Oh, okay. Uh, Poison Ivy. What? Uh, a better Catwoman movie. Two. Um, let's see. Oh, I, I, the first person I thought of was Joker, but I don't want another fucking Joker movie. <laughs> Sorry. Um, the penguin. Three. Um, uh, let's have more Wonder Woman. She's great. Four. Um, let's have um Giganta. Oh, uh, five. Um, let's have a uh, Cheetah was just a movie, so I guess not. Yeah, better Cheetah. Better yeah. Cheetah movie. Um, I would like um a Supergirl. Seven. Crypto the dog. Eight. And um, uh, Flash can get a movie. Nine. One more, unless I miscounted. So maybe oh, you're doing okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do ten. Um, I would like a, a John Stewart Green Lantern. Movie. Oh, that would be amazing. Ten. Yay. Those were, in fact, ten things. All right. Thank you so very much for that. Um, and then I'll just quickly mention, if you have not watched it, the Harley Quinn cartoon on HBO Max. Was I've been one of the, to watch that. It was one of the two best things I watched in all of 2020. It absolutely was incredible. So, all right. I'm GuyGar68 joining as well. Thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight. I really appreciate having you here. All right, so Jessica, so now you get to give me a prompt for 10 things. 10 things. Okay, I will say 
since you said you've been rereading a lot of fantasy, give me 10 fantasy uh, magic wielders. Whew. Wow. Okay. Um, man. Um, I, my, my mind is one of my, so obviously there's Elminster. I'll go fantasy, uh, forgotten realms. Um, Mickey Mouse from Fantasia. Ah! Um, uh, Elsa from Frozen. I guess that counts. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Uh, fantasy. Uh, well, there's, uh, oh my God. What's this? Uh, Randall Thor from Wheel of Time, of course. Uh-huh. Um, what other fantasy have I read? Um, you just made Wheel of Time characters. I, I, I could. Uh, uh, oh, it's not Terry Goodkind's the author. It's the Wheel at the Book of Swords trilogy. Uh, call something or whatever. What whatever space okay. is. Uh, Richard Rawl. That's it. Uh, but um, what's some other good fantasy? I'm trying to look around. I don't have my books here, but I'm looking over as if I have books there that would tell me anything. Um, Gandalf, of course, got to have Gandalf in there. It's Saruman. Uh, Rast, is it Rastaf the Brown? That's Radagast? Radagast, that's the one. Uh, okay, fantasy. Man, why am I blanking so hard? Uh, Randall Flagg, again, Stephen King. He's a bad guy. And there's also Martin, and there's the Man in Black. I think that's 10. That was 11. Oh, oh yay! Well, I think Martin <laughs> and the Man in Black are the same person. It, it's, it gets oh, weird, okay. and so, may, so maybe. Yay, that, in fact, was 10, 10 things. And then Geiger comes in with Morden Canaan, which, yeah, would have been a good Morten one Kanan, as well. yeah. All right, so now we're going to move into used books. And this is sort of like what I call the meat and potatoes of the show. And the idea here is that Jessica is going to share with us a game that you played in or you ran. And we're going to try to like maybe pull out some nuggets of wisdom, maybe things that went really well that you have tried to carry forward and keep doing because they worked. Or maybe you experimented and tried something and it failed spectacularly. And you're like, you know what? Not going to do that again. Or if I do it again, I'm going to do it differently. Uh, so do you have a particular game or campaign you'd like to share with us tonight? Yeah. Um, a Clockwork Vines campaign that I was in that is basically uh, Honey and Dice runs it and it is sort of Call of Cthulhu. Okay. But set, um, what did she call it? Uh, floral steampunk. <laughs> um, it was set in Gaslight era England um late victorian england and um at the time it was on eris savad's channel we're coming back for a second season and i think it's going to be on a different channel but um i was going to talk about the session zero for that with character creation but i just thought of something different Take a drink. <laughs> uh that i wanted to talk about oh, of course it's your show at this point so you can talk about whatever yeah. you would like so how Honey ended every session is with what she called an epilogue, where basically she goes to every character after like a climax, at like a break where you would end a session mm-hmm. and asks like, what is your character thinking right now as they're doing this? Or in this moment, like, what is your character doing for the next five minutes? And did that to every person. And that was how we ended which uh i loved okay so was this your first experience with like a structured version of that where a dm or gm would hand over i would even say like some sort of like not really narrative control but more of like an introspection of you know we're, we're bringing to the surface what is normally 
in maybe you're like in your mind you might think what your player or your character's thinking but it's it's like a personal solo version of the game and in this mm-hmm. case, you're bringing it to the surface. Is that the first time you had experienced that? Or was it more of like the formality of it where you did it, everybody got a turn around the table that stood out to you? It was um, the way that we like ended. Well, first, it was one of the first times that I've had everybody going around and doing something like that. Like I've had GMs hand over narrative control um, and saying something like, oh, yeah, you're going to this building. What does it look like mm-hmm. kind of thing? Or... Um, you know, if you're meeting um, a player character's family, asking like, what are your parents like? What is your house like? You know, that's right. an easy way to give player control. But, um, or I run Bluebeard's Bride every week and always asking like, what are you most frightened of happening right now? Yeah. Here's how it's worse kind of thing <laughs> um, is a mechanic in the game. But this was one of the, this was the first time that I had seen um, or experienced an inner monologue for each character and as a way of closing a session Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Saying like, this is the scene, like you were all having lunch together and we're going to fade out. But what are each, what's going through each of your minds? Like snapshot in this scene. and. I just, it made it so much more memorable Mm -hmm. from like when you would come back the next week and say like, this is what we were doing. And as we went on, some players would get really creative. Some players would like sing a song. They were like, oh, I have this song in my head and this is how it goes. Or like, oh, I'm writing this poem based on what we experienced. And other players would like, some were processing the events that transpired to help some of them. It was just a very cool experience. <laughs> yeah, I've done the, I've done a little bit of that, both as a player and as a as a GM. But I've I've never been in like a truly structured version where it's like at the end of every session. I do really like that as a as I would say like a framing device mm-hmm. to how has this session changed you, and yeah. you know how are we going to maybe go into the next session? Like what is top of mind? And again, kind of going back to that game I was working on, like almost like a TV show where, you know, you kind of have those, Oh, I guess like, you know, at the end of the episode, usually people might be sitting around a table or talking or whatever the, you know, the genre is. And sometimes they'll give you just like a little nugget. That's not quite like a cliffhanger, but it's like, Oh, that's a thread we're going to pick up next time. And this would be a great place for those players to say, you know, I can't let this go. I'm still thinking about this. And as the GM, that would be like, that's amazing for me to be able to know, okay, I know this is something you're interested in. Absolutely want to make sure that when we pick this up next time, that we have a moment to focus on that. Uh, but it's, it's it's an interesting way of doing it. Because I've done the thing where at the end of a session, I'll say, like, what do you think you're going to do next week? You know, yeah. it's more like above the table. Okay, you know, we talked about tonight, you might go to the temple, you might try to track down this, you might go to the prison, talk to the guards. What do you think you're going to do so that I can prep for where I think they're going? But making it part of the game where we actually are still in the character's head, I think is a really cool idea. Have you done that elsewhere now? In other, I totally stole it. Okay. In- <laughs> I stole it for a Monarchies of Mao campaign that actually Honey was in. And so she just gave me this look when I first did it. And I was like, hey, you know what? It's a really good idea. Yeah. And I love it. And I'm stealing it. So do you think other than doing it like at the end of the session, 
like would it be as effective or just different to do it at the beginning of the session or like the middle like maybe right right before after like a bathroom break or something at a convention game or do you think there's something about it being at the end that makes it more impactful i think it could be very cool doing it um like maybe when you meet a major npc Mm -hmm. kind of thing like what's going like if someone's been talked about a lot and you finally meet that person and they're described like what are you thinking or right before you meet them like what do you hope this will be like or sort of like that sort of thing to gauge where they are mm -hmm. um coming back from a bathroom break that could be a great way to get into it mm -hmm. not a con i think so i think it's because like, I've, I've done those things where like we'll do like a little improv exercise you know right before the game starts and you know 10 things type of a thing to kind of get mm -hmm. you in that mode but trying to get back into a character particularly at a one shot where you know maybe that character isn't even fully you know fleshed out in your mind yet even yeah. halfway through the game uh i think that could be very valuable as well and and one aspect of that i think is kind of interesting is again i've talked about this a little bit before but i played in a, a con game once that was really bad it was it was just bad uh I'm sorry. no one you know it happens uh the dm was very new this was a system they've always wanted to play but they didn't really know the system so again they were trying to learn i completely understand all mm -hmm. that but one of the things that happened is that my character kind of got just off on their own and didn't get picked back up for like a very long time. That's tough. It, it is. But, you know, I, I'm the type of player that I want everyone to have a good time. So I, I wasn't going to, like, you know, raise my hand and force spotlight on me. Other people seem to be enjoying the game. So I did this little role play exercise where I spent about 45 minutes. I came up with this whole adventure that my character had that was off screen. No, ah. no one else knew what was happening. You know, I was like, um, I stole someone's car. You know, I basically, like, you know, driving through the town, evading police. This whole big thing was mm -hmm. happening that never actually happened for anyone else at the table, except you, except for me. But it was still a lot of fun. So, like, you know, when we when we got back together, my character finally came back in. I just threw off a couple lines and like threw down some nice car keys, and like no one knew what what was going on. But to me, it was like this perfect little moment. And that's got me thinking about how even in a social game, like a role-playing game, there are certain aspects that are still internal. And then mm -hmm. unless you actually bring them out, they will always be internal. And, you know, I think about like, what did my character do when we weren't together? But in this case, what is my character thinking? Mm -hmm. I think that's a very interesting thing to get out. Now, I guess my question is with everyone listening was it still considered to be internal where like, I didn't actually know that your character was thinking that. So my character yes. shouldn't act on it. Or was it up table knowledge that, Oh, you know, this character is suspicious of this person or not. Um, for us, it was still internal. Okay. But there was, um, I know there was one character who was like playing um, a double life. Basically he was a spy and none of us knew until the final episode. So he kept it like for his inner monologue, he kept it in, he was a British agent of the crown who was pretending to be a German lawyer. And he did his inner monologue in his German accent and was still acting like the lawyer. So when he was like, Oh yes, I'm actually in her majesty's service. We were like, what in the finale um but for the rest of us like who weren't uh playing necessarily secretive characters like uh we 
would never act on any knowledge that we'd gained mm-hmm. from that, but it was just a little glimpse into what everybody was thinking. That's very interesting. I, and I love that as an idea as the GM, but I just wonder if there is a, not in a better way, but like a different way so that characters can act on it. Um, yeah. And, and if they, again, I don't know if that would be better or worse or not, but that, that's just my thought is, is there a way to do something similar where, you know, you take a moment and everyone gets a moment to shine, but it's not internal like thoughts. It's more like, you know, you know, Jessica, your character in the past we've established is not trusting, you mm-hmm. know, how, how do you now feel about meeting this NPC who says, you know, come with me if you want to live type of a thing. Yeah. I just, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it would work as, as well. It may not be as seamless. It may not be as tidy as, as, you know, just what is your character thinking? But I do like the idea of trying to give people a way to present something that might be internal to make it part of the game. Yeah. And I think you'll also get into differences between like home games and streamed games. Mm-hmm. Like I, especially with, starting with the pandemic, like almost all of my games have been streamed games uh, for the last year and a half at this point. And my home games sort of fell apart because people weren't as comfortable with online play. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the way I think people respond to that on a streamed game is going to be very performative. Mm-hmm. Whereas in a home game, they might be... Uh, more revealing of actually what their character is feeling or going through as opposed to like this will reveal what my character is going through but also the audience will really like it if i do this right which is a different it it, is a different vibe when you're streaming it it, it is to a point and this is this is also something i've kind of been dealing with or thinking through as someone who does a lot of games that are streamed but also a lot of games that are not is Mm -hmm. i truly believe that starting to run games that I knew would be for an audience has made every game I run more fun. Yeah, I believe that. Because when when you're trying to craft a game that will be fun to listen to, it's generally fun to play also. Yeah. So I definitely think there's a lot of techniques that maybe people think are for streaming or for podcasting, which we do more of that. But there's really, there's nothing keeping you from doing those just in your home game because you still have an audience but it's just your table it's the other players and anything that comes out that everyone gets to experience and enjoy i I think is basically a net plus most of the time i'm sure there's exceptions uh but for the most part like if if i give insight into what my character is thinking whether it's through this technique or just i you know i I tell everybody i'm I'm having a a moment and i'm just going to talk out loud whatever whatever the case may be i just think that's good in in general terms because then it gives other things for people to to bite on uh you know i think role playing we have this character that we're trying to inhabit but you know in and if you imagine there's a camera watching what we're doing the only thing that anyone sees is what we do but as a normal person i can tell you that what i do versus what i think it's like 80 20 like mm-hmm. i have so many thoughts in my head about things that i might do i think about doing or I'm trying to decide what I'm going to do, but then, you know, you're only going to see the ultimate decision. You're not going to see any of the processes about how I come to that decision. And particularly in a game, like a role-playing game, I think trying to have more of that can't go, I don't think you can go all the way, mm-hmm. but trying to get more of it out there, I think would be fun and, yeah. and interesting. Well, and it's also fun because um, with 
all of my games uh and i just said for all of my games and i know for a fact we don't do this on three flanks which is every friday many many but of your games for most of my games uh we do an aftercare thing called stars and wishes which is um if you don't if you don't know it's where uh everyone goes around and says like your highlight basically which is your star like your favorite part of the game and mm -hmm. then a wish is something that you would like to see in a future game okay you know um and it's a way for to like highlight other players say favorite things and also for the gm to be like okay i need to bring this in or i want they want more of this so we'll you know move the plot in that direction kind mm -hmm. of or find a way to bring that in and it can be really fun when you do the epilogue followed by stars and wishes because it, their character might be like, I hate that person so much and I never want to see them again. And then their wish might be like, bring back that character. I love them. Right. Yes. <laughs> and I, you know, I think that's, again, one of the interesting things about a performative art like role playing where, you know, I think many people by nature avoid drama. There are obviously mm -hmm. exceptions, but for the most of us, we, we want to go along to get along. Yeah. But in a role-playing game, drama is what makes it fun. So, yeah. you know, as Michael, I, I might be like, man, I really hope that that, you know, we don't have to end up dealing with that. Or I should say my character may be like, oh, we don't do that. But Michael's thinking, it's going to be a ton of fun to see how bad things get. So let's jump in there. So, yeah, I think that's kind of interesting. It's almost like asking the same question to the player and then to the character or to mm -hmm. the character and then the player to see where those differences lie. But uh, I don't. Yeah, that, that's an interesting way as well. I I have done that. I haven't done it that like like in formalized. But after right. most of my games, I usually will send messages to each person and say, "Hey, you know, here's how I thought tonight went. This was a moment mm -hmm. I thought was particularly cool. But is there any feedback you have? Is there anything like do you have an idea for a scene or a moment?" And I try to. I don't always get a lot back, but I, I try to give people an avenue to say, "Yeah, I'd like to have a scene with my character. I'd like to have this mm -hmm. or that." So I'll put in. But I, I haven't done it in that format and i've also not done it at the table where everyone is still listening and, and talking yeah. that might be an interesting way to approach that as well yeah i like doing it at the table if you can because it gives players a chance to compliment each other oh like i've played games i think mouse guard does this um and we started integrating it into other games where like there's an mvp and mm. they get like an extra point of um experience if you're doing like xb leveling up but it's like who did some really impressive role playing or who was the most helpful in a weird situation this time kind of thing. So mm -hmm. when it's not milestone role playing that or leveling, that can be a fun thing to do. And just stars and wishes is kind of a way to do that when it is milestone, right? Like right. you're not getting XP for it, but you're still highlighting like, hey, that thing you did was really cool. And I appreciate that. Right. So I ran into this thing, and maybe I'll just get your your take on this. Um, early on, like, right as the podcast was starting, which is like nine years ago, uh, I was running a, a game with some people. We, we ended up doing an actual play, but I think this game was actually before that. And, you know, we were all friends. We, we all were mm -hmm. friends inside the game, outside the game. We would hang out and do non-role-playing game things together. So I feel like it's safe to say we had a pretty good and comfortable relationship. Yeah. And at the end of every game, I'd always say, you know, feedback I'd, I'd like to hear what you what you thought and i almost never got anything everyone was like yeah it was great and then because i always hosted they would go outside and they would be in my talk driveway and, about you. And not necessarily trash but they would talk about the game for like 45 minutes without me and they talk about what they liked and what they didn't like again it wasn't always necessarily as bad 
but there was something about them not being comfortable sharing that in front of me. And I don't know how, cause I, I wanted to be part of that conversation, but I knew if I yeah. went out there, it would have stopped. So I, so that's one of the reasons why I, I do it separately. Cause I have found at least in general, people are more likely to give me feedback if it's not public, especially if it's mm-hmm. negative. But I, I, but I don't know again, if it's, if it's focused on positives, like, you know, who did great or, you know, w- wishes, it might feel mm-hmm. differently than if people thought they're being asked to give critical feedback in a public setting to the DM. I just right. don't know if there's a better way of approaching that necessarily. I don't know. I, I've noticed with like my, with a lot of home games and where everybody's friends, I have noticed that with some of my games too, where people like don't want to say anything to their buddy because they're just like, no, you put in so much work, it's great. And then with each other later, they might be like, oh, well, you know, it was kind of the same thing that we always do. Right. But you're like, I want to know that. Right. Yes. Tell me, I'm, <laughs> I'm the one that can change that. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, what is the same thing that we always do? Because I will fix that. Right. But I, I feel like when you get like, it's not that I don't game online with my friends because I definitely do when I'm friends with everybody I'm on a stream with for the most part. But like, I think it's different when you're, you know, running a game for a con for sure. Cause you don't know those people. Mm-hmm. Um, I run games for magpie every week and like, sometimes my friends will sign up, but sometimes strangers sign up. Right. And if you're on a stream, then you're putting on like a, a show while you're still playing a game. So it's that weird dynamic. But if you're just with your buddies hanging out, like they don't always want to say something Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you don't want to tell your friend like, hey, buddy, here's something you could be doing better in your life. (laughs) Right. But it's weird because I've had friends tell me I suck at things like they'll be like, yeah, you suck (laughs) at that. So but there's something about the performative (laughs) nature of RPGs that that there's like they don't want to hurt people's feelings. Maybe because it's a creative you know, like if I was Maybe, putting on a yeah. play, they wouldn't want to tell me my play sucks. But like if we're, you know, playing video games and they like just, you know, whip me, they'll they'll absolutely trash talk about that. Or if we're playing watching football and my team's losing, they'll, you know, your team sucks type of a thing. I don't. There's yeah. something about that. Maybe that performative nature, I think, is a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of things I would I would pull out here, and we certainly can keep going. Uh, but if you are the DM or the GM or whatever the you know the title is. Yeah. Uh, I found for con games, starting off with sort of an opening scene where you go around the table and you like, you know, introduce your character to everybody, tell us a little bit about yourself. I find this is a good sort of measuring stick to get an idea of who these people are as players. Because again, at a con game, you're going to have a wide variety of experiences and, and talent and just, you know, outgoingness. And you can very quickly see who this is a person who is going to give a lot. Here's someone I'm going to have to maybe pull like Taffy mm-hmm. to get them involved. Uh, here's the person who's just there because the game they wanted was canceled. And, you know, they're going to roll with their friend. Yeah. They're going to roll dice when it's time, but I don't need to worry about them otherwise. Uh, so I, I do try to do something at the very beginning to give me a, like, okay, this is, this helps me settle in my mind. Who's who uh, for the rest of the game. I think that's very, very helpful. And then to the player side, if your DM is asking for feedback, try to give them something critical. I would say positive feedback Feedback makes me feel better. Critical feedback makes me better. So like if that. someone's saying, give me feedback, try to give them something. You know, you, you can couch it as positive as you can. But literally, as a DM, I put hours into trying to make this game fun for you. 
And if I'm failing, tell me, because I'll fix it. I'll try. I mean, I can't promise, but like I wouldn't do all this work knowing that you're not going to have a good time. So help me use my time more wisely, I guess. You know who I have found will almost always give you like critical feedback is other game designers. Mm. <laughs> Whenever I have done like aftercare and feedback time for uh, fellow game devs, I remember, oh, was that I was running, it was one of um, my magpie games. <laughs> I was like, oh, I took notes actually. <laughs> and I was like, I love that. Yes. <laughs> Truly, like, tell me what I can do to make this game better, like for you if you come back, but also for everyone else who's going to play with me. Right, because I'm not going to just drop this. So you could be helping untold people have a better right. experience by sharing the goods and the bad. Yeah, just like the whole point of this this part of the show is to try to find things that went well that we can continue to do, as well as avoid things that maybe didn't go so well. So you you know a little bit of both goes quite a long way. Uh, but thank you so much for sharing. Is there anything else you'd want to touch on before we move to our next segment? No, I, I was glad that was helpful. Absolutely. And as always, we'll throw it out to the audience again, those watching now or in the future. If you have any other examples of this, you know, similar or different or went well, went terrible, uh, you know, share those in the comments. Hit us up on Twitter. You can tag me as well as Jessica. And again, maybe... Together, we will be better next time. And that's kind of the whole point of this. Okay, so now we get to go to everyone's favorite part of the game, which is our Where Have My Fingers Been improv game. Sadly, New York Tater had to bail. He he works a ton, uh, particularly now with the, the pandemic. He has a lot of, he works with the government and does a lot of stuff with that. So, but this is like his favorite part. So maybe he'll check catch the YouTube later. But the idea here is that we're going to create a short scene between two people using our fingers uh, as puppets to represent them. If you want to be Scott, bring in a third because he's actually really good at this. And I think he's a jerk when he does it, but that's up to you. But so we will prompt one another for some sort of situation or location where our two people are interacting. Jessica, you're the guest. Would you like to prompt me first or would you like to go first? I'll go first. Okay. Uh, it's also very important. You have to sing the song. So it's, where have my fingers have been? My fingers been. I said, where have my fingers been? My fingers been. Your fingers are... Who? Uh, your fingers are in line to join a convention game for a game you've never played before at some point in the future when it's safe to get together for conventions again. Okay. Stop looking over my shoulder. Stop it. Oh, sorry. I wasn't paying attention. Back up. Have you played this game before? Yeah, it's the best game. Liar, you haven't played this game. <laughs> she brought in the third. You haven't played this game? Why is it your business? Back up! <laughs> That's my where my fingers. That's where my fingers have been. (laughs) Someone's a close talker. Uh, I hate getting bumped in line of conventions. Oh, it is. It is. It is the worst. All right. So now you get a chance to give me a prompt for where my fingers have been. But first, again, I have to sing the song. So where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? Your 
fingers are going on a roller coaster. Yeah, this is actually the worst part, just the, the anticipation. Uh, because, you know, it's like it takes forever and it's like really slow. And then there's that moment right where you get to the top and then it sort of like stops. But then when, would you shut up? <laughs> I want to ride it again. Me too. I love roller coasters. And that's where my fingers have been. Yay. Yay. All right. So now we're going to move on to cryptozoology. And this is where we're going to talk about a monster, often D&D, but not always. Uh, we talk about maybe why we like this monster so much, some ways we have used a monster in the past, and potentially brainstorm some ways that we could use this monster in the future. Jessica, you are the guest. Do you have a monster you would like to talk about tonight? Let's talk about hags, baby. Hags! <laughs> so looking at the 5E monster manual, so on page 176 and 177, we have the entry on hags. Uh, we oh, have a, so beautiful. a couple different versions. So we have the sort of hags in general. Then we have a green hag. On the next pages, we have night hags and sea hags. So we got all kinds of hags. So what is it about the hag that interests you? Like, why do you want to talk about this? Thing? Oh, I love hags. I feel like I'm going to be a swamp witch when I grow up. <laughs> well, um, we have to have goals. <laughs> um yeah now that my migraines let me know when it's gonna rain in advance like i feel like i'm on my way there yeah. um i have always kind of loved them since i was a kid like well i don't know maleficent's not really a hag but even the evil queen from snow white like i loved her and was also afraid of her mm. and i then when you know when you get older start, from hags to riches <laughs> uh when you start reading like mother maiden crone archetypes and getting i studied like history of fairy tales and all sorts of stuff like that and you get into like how it's a way to villainize older women or fear of them and fear of um wise women fear of powerful women you get into witch trials and stuff like that but basically uh, hags are older women who kind of don't care what other people think about them and have a lot of power mm -hmm. and they're very fun in DD because they're low level enemies but they can seriously mess up your players <laughs> um because they're manipulative and they always have schemes and um, they can shape change. So they can be anybody um, to varying degrees. Like the night hag is going to be the best at being other people. The sea hag can transform into an ugly person. <laughs> uh, the green hag can transfer to anybody, but it does, or transform into anyone, but it doesn't hold up to like physical touch. Mm. But just i love their vibe <laughs> and i i think the things they do are really cool and i've used all of them with players i've written a lot of stuff with hags one of the first things i ever wrote was um part of a collaboration that was called grandmother kirkbesson's book of hags where we just wrote a whole bunch of other hags uh never enough there's uh, there's so much fun things you could do with them but 
I remember running a stream that was Princess of Save Dragons and it was all um, not Disney officially, princesses fighting not Disney villains. And they encountered a coven that was uh, a night hag, a green hag and a sea hag. And even though the night hag is the most powerful and was doing the most physical damage to them, they hated the green hag more than I have ever seen them hate anyone else because she was so manipulative. She could imitate the voices of people they loved. She could appear like people they loved and it messed up their heads to the point where they were like, I don't care about these other two, but she needs to die. Nice. And I, I just love hags. I think they're fun. So, yeah, I'm nowhere near as educated in, in the real world as, as you are, obviously. And I have used hags sparingly in my my experience with D&D. So there's probably some details I'm going to get wrong. But but from what I know of them, uh, mm-hmm. they're often accompanied or work with like Will of the Wisps to lead travelers astray, get them lost into like swamps and then basically consume them. Uh, you know, there's also, I think, classically, they steal children. Um, that's how they make more hags yeah they eat a baby eat and then give birth to a baby hag cycle of life nothing wrong with that like you do but one of the things that i'm again familiar with in like the dnd tropes is the classic uh illusion of like the damsel in distress or even like the child mm-hmm. so like help me help me and you know the the players come to the rescue and then ah it's a hag but i feel like at this point most players unless they're brand new to any sort of role-playing game if you present them the out of place, you know, particularly if it's a young woman, the beautiful woman in distress, but you, you could gender swap that and make it completely you know, a, a right. dude or an old man or old woman, or whatever. My players are going to be instantly suspicious. So is there a way to still get that reveal of you're trying to rescue someone who's actually leading you deeper into trouble without making it obvious what you're doing? Any thoughts on that? Well, you can change who they're disguised as. So one thing that I've done is um, my players were looking for someone who had been captured. Um, It turned out that they thought the person had been abducted by hags. Um, It turned out the hags were also looking for this person to abduct them because it turned out it was um, a juvenile dragon. And they wanted the dragon's power because uh, everybody was looking for dragons in this campaign. Uh, and but the they knew the name and the approximate age of the person they were looking for. So the hag appeared to them as that person and was like, I just escaped. You have to help me. So because they were looking for that person, they were like, oh, OK, because the helpless young maiden did not work. Right. Because they were like, why don't you get yourself out of here? So rather than uh, being just the generic lost in the swamp person, by by making them a specific person, and in this case, Mm -hmm. specifically someone they were already looking for, you have sort of bypassed their natural uh, suspicions of players and meeting someone in a swamp. Uh, Also, you can do cool stuff with dancing lights. Like, you can have the dancing lights take the form of a person. Right. And it won't look like a human, but if it's someone who's like, help, I'm caught in a magical trap. Ah, okay. 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 The it, Completely, not, no, not completely unrelated, but, but the first thing that popped in my head is that classic situation where you have two versions of the same person, you know, mm-hmm. and in, in the movies, it's like, you know, tell me something you wouldn't know. But I like the idea of 
that, but where the players are wrong and they end up killing the wrong person and they actually yeah. they think the hag is the right person, so, the, so they save them. So by having two of them presented, they assume one of them is the doppelganger, or in this case, a, a, a transformed hag, but you give enough information to the hag so they seem like the right one. Uh, so that might get over their suspicion because you've already presented them with a false one, but the false one was actually the real one. Or you could even do like a two hag situation. Right. So they kill one, you know, maybe and the like, other one's also a hag. But the other one's also a hag. Uh, so that could work. But I always, one of the things I always try to do is I don't like monsters that are just bag of hit points where it's like, okay, we hit it with our stick until it's dead. So I kind of like the idea of making the hag someone they have to interact with. So it's not the surprise I'm actually the hag. It's like, we have to go talk to this hag or this whole coven of hags. Yeah. And then because we need something that only they can provide, but how do we navigate this without not just becoming lunch? You know, is it that we're just strong enough or is it we we have a knowledge, we have a thing, we have an escape plan so that we're going to get into this bad situation and, and get out. I'm thinking like um, Beastmaster when he has to go speak to the witches. That doesn't work out well yeah. for anybody. Uh, I think <laughs> Clash of Titans also similarly like with the class eye. Uh, so can you think of any situations, and again, these are just off the top of your head, or if you have examples of times where you've used hags as hags, not as the deceptive version? Right. Um, well, the fun thing with hags is that they, because they're manipulative and always scheming, they're really good at getting communities on their side. So you might be like, well, we're going to go kill the hag. This has uh, come up in Uncaged all of the time. Um where the people are are going to go, you know, do away with a hag. And it turns out that the community is like, no, the hag actually helps us a lot. Like she's our midwife. Um, she, you know, we have better health. And like, yeah, once in a while we have to sacrifice someone on the harvest moon. But, you know, that's a small price to pay for like a thriving community with really good crops. And so if you need to get to the hag, you have to go through an entire town. And a lot of players don't want to do that. Fair. Uh, I like the, the reverse of that, where they kill the hag, they come into town thinking they're heroes. But, and but, everybody's like, Whoa. But before they announce, like they don't hold the head up, but they just talk, you know, they find out very quickly that everyone here in the town loves the hag. And then they're just like keeping on the DL that they've killed the hag. Yeah. Uh, and then they come back, obviously, like a year later, and the town's falling apart, and like there's people hate them on, like they just hate these people because they thought they did the right thing. But I'm kind of that. The DM town that, hires them and is like, "Help! Our goddess has been slain," and they're like, "Oh no!" Oh yes, we need to figure out who killed our hag um, mistress. Uh, like our arch druid. Yeah, we'll, we'll look right into that. We'll be right back. <laughs> Oh, excellent. All right. So give me a couple see other ways. Um, is there anything hags want other than like obviously victims, uh, you know, knowledge, secrets, maybe something that, that the players could give them that they could trade for? So it depends on the hag. And according to like the lore, the lore in like D&D, &D, green hags want to mess with people <laughs> like they want to make their fae. So they want to make deals hmm. and they want to make sure that the deals are always in their favor and they come out on top. Night hags collect souls. So that's why they, they want to kill evil people and keep their souls in a bag. Sea hags want to destroy anything beautiful. Uh, Anis hags like breaking things. 
for the most part. They're not very magic-y, but they are like eight or nine feet tall. Hmm. And they like punching things. And they like luring children astray. I remember that's one of their big ones. They like corrupting the innocent. And burr hags like eating people. They like luring them out to the freezing cold and then eating them. So uh, there's some, like, I don't know. I think hags are fun. Some of them like uh, want, um, you could do it so that maybe they want praise like maybe they want to be seen as a goddess maybe they want um knowledge maybe they want to kill a dragon you know they live forever and maybe they have beef with a kraken Hmm. or something they can't defeat a kraken they're like cr4 you're right but they can certainly send adventurers to defeat a kraken (laughs) By not telling them it's a kraken. Well, of course not. Yes, just yeah. a giant octopus. Yeah, yeah. It's just a it's just a sea creature. Don't ask about that. Um, yeah. So I, I now my thought is trying to marry up the 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 town or the village with a hag. So it's like you have a hag. You're like, listen, hag, we have the perfect place for you. So why don't you come here? Because we have this town that they're run down. Their life sucks. You could probably like set up shop and become their goddess and, you know, mm-hmm. treat them fairly well. You don't want to go blow through them. They're a resource. But yeah, you know, maybe every year we get a harvest moon sacrifice. All you got to do is, like, you know, when they get consumption, you take care of it, whatever. So is there some sort of way that that's the adventure? That's the goal is you have a town that's about to collapse. And needs a hag. And needs a hag. Maybe not doesn't need a hag, but they need something and a hag is what we present to them as well. You know that there's this swamp, you know, two counties over where right. things are going weird. So maybe that's the solution. Because I don't know that you could just say that's the adventure, bring a hag here. But those are the two problems. You have a hag that's not wanted and you have mm-hmm. a village that could use the services of a, a hag. A magical person. And they might be willing to deal with the negatives. And so that creative solution is, why don't we fix both problems by bringing them together? That might be hard to manipulate and not make it obvious what you're doing, but that could be a very fun and satisfying adventure if you can leverage those properly. I think if you tossed in a couple other magical creatures so that you could give the players options, so Mm -hmm. it's not just a hag, but like maybe, uh, why do I keep thinking dragons? Or maybe up in the mountains, there's a bunch of, winter wolves could it do better so yeah maybe there's like a juvenile white dragon maybe in the water there's a morlock or something you know and a morlock wouldn't do great in a town but they're like well if they bring the town to the deep ocean (laughs) you know and you could if depending on how the players like get along with the beasties uh or see what the town is willing to tolerate Mm -hmm. Yeah, that could be like like a humorous campaign where they bring in a magical creature and they're like, nope. And so they then then they kill that one. Then they go out and they search for another <laughs> one. This one? Nope. Kill that one. And then you go back. Eventually you, you settle on the correct level of how evil of an evil overlord are we willing to deal with. Uh, yeah, the town's like, we were thinking a unicorn? Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, you got a hag. You, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you definitely were not, like our, you know, our, our wires were crossed there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But then, yeah, that's cool. I definitely, as I, I was kind of mentioning before we went live, there there might be a hag making an appearance in a game that I'm running every other Tuesday 
uh, on Twitch. We, you know, per- perhaps, maybe we shall see. Uh, but as always, I like to throw it out to the audience, those of you watching now or anyone watching or listening in the future. If you have any just cool hag stories, a way that you used a hag or a campaign you played in had a reveal or a hag, please share with us. Again, hit uh, Jessica and I up on Twitter, drop in some comments in this episode. Give us your stories on how hags have been used in your games particularly well uh, so that more people can learn about them and, and use them because I do think they're a fun and they're, they're kind of a traditional thing. Like I think every good D&D campaign at some point has a hag in it. Michael, all hag stories are cool stories. True, that is true. Inherently so. All right. So at this point, we're going to kind of get to the end of the show where we like to open it up to Q&A. So anyone who's watching now that's in chat, if you have any questions for Jessica or I, please let us know. It uh, doesn't have to be role-playing game related. Makes the most sense if it is. Uh, and we always reserve the right not to answer a question. But if you have something you'd like to ask Jessica or I, please do. There's a bit of delay. So while we're waiting for our chat to catch up, Jessica, here's the time. Plug away. What have you got? What do you want to talk about? And, and again, put, put your socials back in there as well. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Miss underscore Jess 03, but my name will look like Angry Nerd Girl, which is what it is on Twitch. Mm. You can find me every Friday on Twitch when I run Three Flings, the adventures of three tieflings through the Uncaged Anthology. And uh, next week I have, um, I'm co-writer for a thing coming to the DMs Guild called Playing Possum. And it is uh, playable possums, skunks, um, armadillos, and I'm forgetting one. Oh no, what are they? badgers and badgers uh, as well? So uh, there's NPCs as well as character classes, uh, and that's coming next week. And then also all my stuff is on my website, uh, Jessica Markram writes. Dot com and I have I realized like I have 10 things that are waiting to come out but most recently I have a bunch of stuff coming out with cubicle seven so look for the age of sigmar soulbound bestiary and uh, I think that's the soonest one so okay. check that out because I wrote some monsters for that very cool and again if you're watching this on YouTube or listening uh, there will be links to all this stuff in the show notes to make it easier for you to find uh, either of us or the, any of the things that Jessica mentioned uh, Sunky mentioned that, uh, that he had a group of hags that kept cloning the PCs and then we're sending them out after the PCs that sounds like I love fun. that yes uh, so as for myself again Michael at the RPG Academy and pretty much everything I do can be found it, some, if you search the RPG Academy you're going to find me hopefully if you, if you find someone else let me know because that's a problem uh, but uh, right now every other week on Tuesdays I'm running a 13th age campaign called Shadow Spawns or is it Shadow Spawns we don't know yet but that's what we're trying to figure out um, and then every other Wednesday I'm doing Detention Live like tonight tonight was on the off Wednesday so next week we will have another episode of Detention uh, and then in addition to that, just about every weekday I play video games. Uh, right now I'm playing Dragon Warrior 2, kind of revisiting some of the old games I played as a kid. As I like to say, I'm not going to teach you how to play the games. I'm not going to give you any secrets or inside information. It is just me reliving my childhood playing these games I loved when I was like 8, 9 years old. Um, and then I also have started a painting show. Again, I'm not going to teach you how to paint minis because I'm terrible at it, but I like doing it. So I'm like the Bob Ross of painting minis if Bob Ross was named Michael and was bad at painting minis. Uh, But I'm having a lot of fun doing it. Right now I'm working through the Marvel United uh, uh, Cool Mini or Not game. So a lot of the Marvel heroes uh, and villains that I'm going through. 
Uh, I don't see any questions yet, but we'll give one last call out. So again, if you have any questions for Jessica or I, please now throw them out there. Uh, we like answering questions. So this is your chance to ask something. Um, yeah, absolutely. Ask us things. Uh, so one last time again, what was the Twitter handle for you, Jessica? At Miss underscore Jess zero three. Zero three. Excellent. Uh, again, at the RPG County. I will quickly mention, I also do a podcast about the show Smallville. Uh, when we got into quarantine, that was the first show that I went back and rewatched all 10 seasons on Hulu. And, I've never seen it. Oh, if you, I'm always looking because we rotate co-hosts every week for every episode. So if mm-hmm. you would like to be a co-host on Smallville, all you have to do is watch one episode. Uh, but it's called Farm to Fable. We are currently near the end of season two. I'm recruiting co-hosts for season three. The plan is to do basically all 10 seasons every every episode. And uh, I'm having a ton of fun doing this. Uh, right now, I think we're up to like maybe 40, 50 people listening to each episode. So it's a very small show. But I have a few people that are, again, they're, you know, religiously listening. They're sending me emails. And, you know, I think we're up to 15 reviews on iTunes. Uh, it's absolutely a ton of fun. I really, really enjoy it. It's a bad show in some aspects. And I've actually got feedback that I'm sometimes too negative because I get focused on the nitpicky stuff. But I do love the show. I wouldn't do this podcast if I didn't absolutely love the show overall. But it's it's a ton of fun. Uh, So Sunkey has asked, so what is the favorite story you have crafted for a game or a PC background? Uh, So Jessica, any any particular PCs backstories that, that you've created or maybe the story of a game that you would share? Yeah. Um, I think my favorite my favorite PC background I ever came up with was for a one shot, actually. Um I usually I'm usually the perma GM, so I don't often put much thought into my PCs. I'm just like, what class do you need? I will fill right. in and be that person. But um I was playing my first ever paladin and uh it was basically for a game that I was playing a game that I had written, but I wasn't GMing it. So I did not want to be optimized Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, to just, you know, it was a mystery campaign or a mystery game. And I didn't want to um, spoil everything. So I wanted to be moderately helpful if things went South, but also not uh, good at what I was doing so it was a ghost story so I was like I'll be a paladin but I'll be a redemption paladin so I don't really have much turn undead uh and I decided that her backstory was she was a pirate captain who had fallen in love with a cleric and she was still an atheist and did not believe in the gods but she believed wholeheartedly in her girlfriend and was going the path of redemption to be worthy of making her girlfriend her wife. So that was her thing. And I had a lot of fun with her. That was Scarlett Obani. Scarlett Obani. Oh, excellent. Uh, Gagar68 mentions that uh, not a fan of Smallville. It's got some problems. Absolutely. I'm with you on that. Uh, But I I particularly enjoyed the uh, teen angsty drama, the focus on Clark versus on Superman. And, you know, again, it came out, 2002 2003 uh you know i think that was like right around the time i I got my first job i moved out i got married i was you know kind of living on my own it was like our show that me and my wife would watch together because it was was one of the few superhero things that was on at the time uh so i have i have a nostalgia and a love for that show but again a lot of times i go really nitpicky on things that do not make sense 
but yeah, the Christopher Reeve episode, actually the one, the episode we just... Christopher Reeves was on Smallville? He was on two episodes. Um, we, we just released last week the episode that he was on first. He plays sort of a... I'm going to use Elon Musk like this billionaire okay. uh, technology guru, though That's not like uh, evil. No, not, not necessarily that. He, he um, in the show, he plays Virgil Swan, who's like a tech billionaire who dedicates his life and his money to trying to find evidence of life in outer space, or, you know, extraterrestrial life. And he is able to give Clark some information that Clark didn't have about his heritage. Uh, so he kind of came on and... Uh, you know, it was like a literal passing of the torch, having Christopher Reeve in the episode. It was very well done, very, but also very emotional. And it was a big turning part, turning point for Clark, because this is where he learned the name Krypton. And that he also learned that Krypton was destroyed. Uh, so Virgil Swan dropped some some big information on him. So it, it, was a, it was a really good episode of the show as well. Was, you know, again, I grew up watching the Christopher Reeve. He was my Superman uh, as yeah. a kid. So it was a big deal to see that as well. Um, I loved the Christopher Reed movies and I was hooked on Lewis and Clark mm. when I was a kid. I loved that show. So even though Dean Cain kind of sucks now, yeah. seeing him on Supergirl was really exciting for me. Like I watched the first season and a half of Supergirl and seeing like Dean Cain and um, I'm blanking on her name right now, but the woman who played Supergirl in the Supergirl movie as her parents and then seeing Linda Carter mm-hmm. come on the show, I was like, I love this. I love when they do this. Yeah, that's one thing I will say about, about the DC TV shows on CW, like Arrow, um, The Flash, is that they they have a love for these stories, and they are trying their best to sort of bring things in. Uh, you know, glass this whole time. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Flash bringing in uh, the guy, I can't remember his name, who played The Flash in the 90s and making him the Jay Garrick uh, or not the Jake Eric. What's oh, that's cool. The other, the other, the other, or Elseworld Flash. I can't remember his name right now. I'm blanking, but yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I love when they do that. And it makes me feel like these are people who, again, I may not agree with the version, the stories they tell, but they do love these stories. They're not just like, hey, super, mm-hmm. you know, superheroes are cool. Like they have a love for these stories. And uh, actually, I don't know. Have you seen Star Girl? Did you watch that at all? No. So I think it's on HBO Max now. I think it was on CW okay. originally, and it's uh, it's basically the C, the Star Girl character. And I watched it with my boys, and they loved it. And actually, it's definitely sort of that hero uh, wish fulfillment. You know, it's the you know young girl. Mm-hmm. In this I think she's like fifteen. She finds she finds out that she's the daughter of Starman, and she inherits his powers. There's a little, little bit of a mystery, so I won't spoil whether that's actually true, but that's what she thinks is true. But she does get his staff, and the opening, mm-hmm. like the opening twenty minutes, is like the Justice League of America getting wiped out, or the, sorry, the Justice Society. They all get oh, killed yeah. by the villains, and so this is like you know, fifteen years later, and then she finds out that the villains have this plan, and you know, she starts bringing all her friends together and they become superheroes. It, it's total wish fulfillment, but it's actually got a lot of heart to it uh, that I really enjoyed. But it also has these weird twists and turns where like people will just straight up murder someone else. So it's, you're like, I'm a 15 year old kid who is my best friend as a superhero. Holy shit. That guy just got murdered. Uh, so it, it's, it's got some weird emotional turns, but I actually really, really enjoyed it. So I would highly suggest anybody who has any interest in these shows, check them out. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. 
Uh, and then I'll just quickly mention Army was probably one of my favorite characters I got to play. It was a it was an actual play campaign we ran for a while. Unfortunately, like most of our campaigns, it just died because life got in the way. Uh, it was the first time I had played a female character in so many years. Uh, I grew up having a lot of bad experiences with people playing female characters because it was mostly just mm. an excuse to be like a slut, basically. Licentious, gross person. It's just gross. And, you know, and I'll talk about more to immaturity. You know, again, I started playing when I was like 15. I'm sure I didn't handle it well as the DM either. But I was like, hey, I'm going to see if I can actually play a female character and not lean into the bad aspects of it. And I totally fell in love with this character. I had so much fun playing her. She had the most awful backstory I could think of. So her father had six boys and then wanted to try one more time. Had, I'm sorry, sorry. Had six girls. Wanted to try one more time for a boy and ended up having twins. So had a boy and a girl twin. Oh, okay. And could not afford to keep everybody. So Army was sent to live in an orphanage because they already had six girls. So Army grew up on an on a small island nation with her family that she saw because she went to live in the temple. So every Sunday for services, she would see her entire family march in, but she was not part of the family. So it was like the most tragic backstory, but where she wasn't actually an orphan because her parents were still alive. Yeah. Uh, and I just and she was like very earnest. Like she she was fine with that. She loved seeing her family. She had no resentment towards them. And I kind of said it was like almost like a Forrest Gump. I don't know if that's necessarily something I sh- should mm-hmm. say now, but she was just like earnest and simple and just always mm-hmm. looked at the positivity and everything. Uh, and I just really loved playing her character. She was very much not an adventurer who kept getting thrown into these adventures and it was a lot of fun. So if anyone's listening, Rot Iron is a campaign. There's like nine or 10 episodes. Fabulous. So much fun, but it just literally stops because we just, the campaign just fell apart. Unfortunately. Oh. So. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for watching Some Key, Gygar, New York Tater. I saw some other numbers, so I'm guessing there were some people that might have jumped in for a few minutes. Maybe they checked out the show for the first time or just lurking. That's cool. There's never any pressure to chat with us. I like it when people do, but if you just want to, like, watch and lurk, you do you. Uh, Jessica, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoyed your, your time here and playing our little reindeer games and the ten finger ten things and the fingers and everything. <laughs> this was so fun. It was uh thank you so much for having me. Welcome. If you want to come back in the future, I'd love to have you again. And truly, if you want to join Farm to Fable, we can talk off the air about that. Uh but this show will go up on YouTube next week. It'll go up on audio only the week after. Uh there's a much larger audience there. So hopefully we'll get some more people will be able to check out your stuff and you might see some people coming your way that way. Uh but one last time, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Miss underscore Jess zero three. And you can find my Twitch at Angry Nerd Girl. And you can find everything that I have ever written that is a game at JessicaMarkerWrites.com. Fantastic. And once again, I'll have those in the show notes for the YouTube and the audio only version. Thank you, everybody. We'll do the awkward wave out as I look for the stop streaming button. And hopefully we'll see you next week back here with another episode of Detention. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize, but there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. 
You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.